I've certainly done worse, haven't I? <laughs> and, and of course, that's the note I'm going to start the episode on. <laughs> on this episode of the Osim Bunker, I admit to my I admit to my past crimes and indecencies. Exposed, exposed. <laughs> you're not getting many people, but you're getting big revelations. Um, so welcome to season two, episode seven of the Osim Bunker with Kyle Glenn, uh, myself, Osim Technical, and Brian, um, who does some great plane tracking stuff over um, both on the UK Defense Journal um, or UK Defense Community. Um, Discord server and uh, Mata Osent. Um, excited to see you both here. Um, we have a lot to talk about this week, um, like a, a lot. Of course, we end up delaying our podcast by a couple of days, and frankly, half of Eastern Europe decides to um, do dramatic things. No, definitely. And um, I yeah. will say this before we start: I've double checked. It's episode six. It's episode oh yeah, seven. I was about to say as well. We're one ahead. The heck out of that one. <laughs> or, or or not bother and just have it as a gaff. Um, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll yeah, fix that definitely. Definite. That's a that's a promise I can make. <laughs> Sounds good. Oh, glad to be here. Um, yeah, good to have you. Uh, basically, yeah, like, you know, like Europe has just decided to again kind of heat up quite significantly over the last. I mean, when when are we saying this last kind of Ukrainian escalations happened over the last six weeks, month to six weeks? It's really started to escalate again, and even more so over the last, I'd say, seven to ten days. Um, <clears throat> it's kind of following on from uh, what we saw back in March, April this year, when we seen a lot of uh, movement. Russian movement of troops and equipment towards the Ukrainian border. Um, and of course, nothing, you know, nothing really came of that. There was a lot of panic. There was a lot of concern that Russia was going to make a move around at that time. Um, and nothing really happened. There was a slight uptick in fighting. Um, quite as well, I'd say a slight, quite a significant amount of Ukrainian soldiers died. Um, I believe I was looking the other day, I think it was. 25 or 20 or 25 soldiers died in the first three months of 2021 compared to, I think it was about the same number in all of 2020. So there was quite a significant uptake of fighting at the start of the year. Um, but nothing really happened. Um, there was no attempts to advance. There was no real escalations. It was just a kind of slight uptick in fighting. Um, and then things kind of died down a little bit. Over the summer, which was unusual, you know, you see a lot of times in wars over the summer, spring and summer is when things start to heat up rather than kind of de-escalate, but things did slightly de-escalate, um, leading up to, I'd say, probably, well, we'll say October, we'll say like October and November, um, things have started to heat up again, we've seen a lot more troops moving in, a lot more equipment, not as many um, videos as back in March and April. It seems that, uh, I mean, one of two things in my opinion: either Russia had got their obsec up to up to, up to code, or they just wanted them to be seen in March and April, and it was almost you know part of the whole kind of threatening. They they wanted people to film the the tanks. They wanted people to film the trains. You know, they were happy to allow that to get leaked as such. Um. 
Yeah, no, it seems like the, the build-up this time is a lot more almost insidious. It's been done very quietly. Um, but, yeah, I, I don't know what you guys think or what you guys have been seeing on your end. Um, we actually haven't really seen, as you mentioned, that much um, movement at least posted publicly, whereas normally you would sort of expect more of that published information, of course, on, on the web. You would expect... Um, more videos to come out, you would expect more eyewitness accounts, and we just we sort of aren't seeing as much as we did back in the spring of um, 2021, which was, uh, frankly, the amount of troops and equipment being moved into the area w was massive. We we saw um, additionally stuff that, that backed up um, the movement of Russian supplies and Russian equipment, so um, rescheduling of trains, um, the clearance of leaves, and you know, large exercises announced, we're sort of not seeing that this time as much. But on the other hand, we're also seeing the Ukrainian government, the U.S. government, we're seeing a lot of different um, uh, governmental bodies who, I mean, I'm assuming have better intel than we do, um, getting much more in arms about this and um, being much more proactive in complaining. Um, so that's something I guess we have to balance, and it's just, it's really hard to gauge what the actual truth of the situation is. Yeah, I agree. You know, you would, like you said, you saw a lot of videos in in the past, stuff moving around, and now there's nothing in terms of like actual evidence, but there's just a lot of words going around, like oh, they're building up massive amounts of troops. Um, but we have nothing that really, except for the actual intelligence community, that indicates that they have actually seen anything in relation to the actual buildup along the border. Yeah, and and again, like the the really unusual thing again is is it the U.S. just flat out coming and saying they you know they're expecting Russia to be or to potentially launch an invasion or at least something to happen before um was it like February next year? No, I there was a leaked there was a leaked report um that indicated that um Russia intended to invade uh, Ukraine in the upcoming months. And then the Ukrainians leaked a or just released a lot of details, including um, uh, uh, graphics that um, they had posted that indicated that Russia planned to mount a large offensive in either January or February. Um, and the graphics they released out outlined and identified specific Russian units that had been building up in the area, um, forces, expected uh, disposition of said forces, and expected movements as well. So. I'm, and that came directly from the Ukrainian government, which I'm assuming also includes information that was gained from American sources, because as we all know, the U.S. Air Force and, of course, um, the uh, Royal Air Force as well have been flying a number of intelligence gathering missions over Ukraine and over the Black Sea over the past um, year or since the spring. Um, so... Again, it's we're just we're not seeing this public stuff, but the indication is that um, different governments have a lot of information that backs up um, what they're saying. Yeah, and well, going back to what you said about like the um, the reconnaissance flights, like you said, back in March and April, it was almost day. Well, well, that we could see it was on you know on like flight tracking sites. So it was like almost daily flights of um, was it global hawks over in Ukraine. Always flying like the same pattern, um, as well as I can't remember exactly what what aircraft were in the Black Sea. I know I know there was a couple of P eights. Yeah, um, we saw some P eights, some uh, Sigins, so the the River Joint, and then also the oh yeah the radar emitter collection one, the the combat sent the other one that's been recently seen off Iran. 
Um, mm. It's also yeah. been flying over the sea there. And EP3s, or a, a version of the P3, I believe as well. It's mm-hmm. at one point that got intercepted. Yeah, so th- there was, you know, quite a lot of different aircraft observing, you know, Crimea and, and, and Eastern Ukraine. And it, again, it, it was it was rare like, in that kind of period between March and April for there to be a day when there wasn't some kind of NATO aircraft observing that region. Um, and, like, it's, and, you know, and that's when nothing happened. And what is really unusual again is now when things start to be heating up again, it seems to be less common to see these aircraft in the Black Sea. They're still there. You know, they, they are still there, but they, they definitely don't seem to be making as frequent flights um, or as they were. They are making flights just, with ADS-B on. Yeah, I think, yeah, that's the case. That's, we, yeah. I think we saw, I saw a tweet from NATO the other week um, that their Global Hawk, also from Singanella, uh, flew a 24-hour Black Sea mission, and I don't think anyone reported seeing it on, on the trackers. Like, they just completely no. turned off their stuff. But it flew for the for the NATO one. It was the first long endurance mission over the Black Sea, mm-hmm. and you know they fly out of Sigonella, they fly the same route the US the US ones do. Um, but no one saw it anywhere, so like it wasn't reported anywhere other than by NATO saying we flew a Black Sea mission. Well, I was just gonna say, you know, usually when you see stuff start to happen without ADSB transponders on, especially you know involving large aircraft, there's certainly an indication that um, they're not trying to make it easy for enemy forces to actually spot the aircraft before um, they're incoming and, you know, give intelligence gathering sources or intelligence gathering assets more time on station to actually, you know, hoover up signals intelligence before either, you know, radars are turned off or, you know, troops sort of disperse and move around. So there, there is that. Um, and there is an indication that NATO and the U.S. may be trying to acquire um, some more accurate intelligence by not releasing ADSB locations. Um, But at this point, again, um, it's just that lack of movement that we've seen um, posted. So it's it's really hard to gauge at this point. Yeah, I'm just looking on flight right on now. I'm just playing back today's activity to see if there's anything in the Black Sea. And so far... It doesn't look like there's, there's, well, again, on flight radar at least, or on IDSB, it doesn't look like there's been anything in the region um, today. Um, but, you know, like you said, it, 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 there could be, you know, 50 aircraft there. We just, <laughs> if they don't have ADSB on, we're not going to see them. Yeah, I mean, you know, um, Turkey has their drones that I don't think I've ever seen pop up over the country itself, but we see the reports of them flying around and striking stuff and and all that things, and we don't ever see them on the trekkers. Yeah, and that is a big thing as well. And, of course, the arrival of um, new U.S. heavy bomber assets into the region um, with the deployment of both, I believe, the rotation of new B-2s in um, earlier in the summer. And then, of course, the B-1s that have arrived as well um, just recently and have conducted some serious uh, friendship flights. I think that's what they were called um, with NATO member countries. Um so there certainly is that indication that the U.S. is, I guess, prepared to sort of um, uh, fight any buildup with buildup. I know um, the there was a report from CNN that said the Biden administration was considering sending um, uh, new weapons and uh, advisors into Ukraine, which um, definitely sending U.S. military advisors serves as uh, some sort of uh, 
uh, I guess, tripwire mechanism in case the Russians were to invade in any force. Um, it'd be very hard to uh, not get the U.S. involved at that point. So it's it's just this, I guess, trying to fight the buildup in the most non-inflammatory way ways possible, um, sort of taking a defensive stance in Ukraine without actually, you know, doing things like deploying troops to Ukraine or, you know, inviting Ukraine to join NATO. Yeah, that, that's a big thing, you know, that Ukraine is still pushing for. But I think that most countries are hesitant because I think as soon as they will become part of NATO, they'll invoke Article 4, like within the next week. And yeah, the, everyone's going to have to deploy their troops. <laughs> Their, their representatives won't even leave the uh, NATO headquarters. They'll just inc- they'll just invoke. Oh, exactly. They already have. Yeah. They'll, they'll have the report written out and be like, "All right, we're in. Here's our first thing. There you go. We're invoking it." Yep. This, Come this goes your on troops. top of the inbox here. You know here. Yeah, Defend I think. Us. And yeah, looking at also flight activity, I've just seen that a UK uh, one of those BAE one four sixes flew to Kiev earlier, but I don't think that's really too significant but those those 146s are interesting because they can both serve cargo roles and they also frequently serve as transportation for both special forces and then of course they vary across you know your three stars and up across europe and across member nato countries so there could be a huge number of things that that could be doing um i would tend yeah similar to the us is one yeah i I would tend to think diplomatic stuff um or at least maybe Mm -hmm. military attaches moving around um yeah it's just, it's, of course, so unclear just because we don't know. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I definitely remember seeing um, more than a few of those flights, again, during the last build-up in, in, in March and April. Um, and then, you know, as, as things kind of cooled down, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't look out for them as much. So, I personally, I've got no really kind of benchmark of how common these flights were into Ukraine. Um I think the the only the ones that were really common was the the Global Hawk. I think that flew almost daily missions. They even at some point had them come over from Aldafra. They they flew all mm-hmm. the way over from Aldafra all the way to the Black Sea and over mainland Ukraine to observe buildup. Um, we saw the RC. I think that's the, that was the mainstay. Well. Oh yeah, the, yeah. The, those the those two we saw. Um, daily, sometimes twice daily missions utilizing both the RAF RC-135 and um, US US RC-135s based out of both um, uh, Greece and the UK at that time. So that was definitely... um, I think the main... Yeah. The mainstay nowadays is just... has been Kaliningrad. We see daily RC-135s orbiting the area, as well as, of course, the the two uh, guardrails, those army SIGIN monster prop planes, along with 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 by by daily E8s. I don't think I've not seen them daily recently. They were flying daily at one point, um, yeah, but they've, they've gone down a little bit, at least on the trackers. So yeah, to say. And, and of course other. Um, uh, oh yeah, the Swedish have flown there. Yeah, the yeah, I've seen um, the Swedes. So they're, I don't they're know definitely... what the UK UK P8s have been going through the north of Denmark. I don't know if they've gone further than that or just kind of retraining off Denmark and Norway. Yeah, but... I, mean, I think I think the focus right now is Ukraine, just because again, all the other countries that you know Russia could potentially threaten or that are on the border of Belarus that could also be threatened are NATO member countries, which again Ukraine isn't. So there isn't that whole you know immediate stopgap. Um, 
sort of agreement in place for those countries. It's just, you know, I Putin believes that he can you know, take or potentially take portions of Ukraine without you know, any sort of NATO intervention because he's done it before and gotten away with it. And, you know, nothing happened or nothing significant happened. And I think he feels like, you know, there's a potential that Russia has some sort of leverage over Europe, so he could potentially stave mm-hmm. off any sort of NATO intervention into Ukraine because you know Ukraine isn't a member nation um, by threatening uh, oil supplies, as um, Europe is already fairly stretched right now, um, especially for natural gas. Um, I, I'm not sure European countries could make it through the winter without Russian uh, natural gas or oil. Yeah, that's yeah. an issue with. Oh, oh sorry, go ahead. I, I was going to say, it's interesting you mentioned the you know like gas and oil in that. Um, didn't Russia just give Moldova a deadline of yesterday, I believe it was, to pay some debt to, I want to say, Gazprom? Um, and it gave them like a 48-hour deadline, or they, would, they were going to cut off gas and oil supplies to Moldova. Um, obviously, the interesting thing about Moldova is, you know, Transnistria has quite a sizable Russian... Um, presence, the Russian military presence, um, which you know I'm not going to say Russia is going to invade Moldova over an oil debt, but I think know, they're, looking, of... they're more looking to gain a foothold out of it. I think they can. It's it's mm-hmm. another front they can pressure Ukraine on in that sense, and um, because it's a completely opposite of they've got the Black Sea right there, and then Moldova is a good, um, well, yeah, like I said, it's a good place they can either. Uses a distraction, or you know, start provoking the regions around there. We got some, not so much big cities, but they have a they have a piece of land that is running towards the Crimea that is a decent bit of, kind of almost cut off by Moldova. That is Ukrainian. Yeah, well, some people. I mean, I, I don't personally much agree with the um, assumption, but some people are kind of thinking that Odessa could be a target for Russia. The city of Odessa, which is obviously right next to um, Moldova, there. Um, you, you know, if I had to make a guess, you know, like Mariupol or Mariupol um, is by far the biggest city that, um, if 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 hostilities did kick off again, um, that would be the main goal for Russia and uh, their proxies in eastern Ukraine. You know, it's a yeah, port but... city; it's sizable. You know, it's, it, it, the, it's the Crimean Canal um, issue it is one of the, the big uh, motivators for Russia. And I, I stay, still okay. think that my thesis on that somewhat holds true. Um, of course, it's been lessened since, you know, rainy season, um, in fall and uh, uh, somewhat in the winter as well. Um, so, you know, we'll see less pressure on the um, reservoirs in Crimea, but the Russians are definitely under some sort of pressure to open up a, a separate line of uh, water supply in, into Crimea, as they haven't been exactly really been able to fill all of the um, water needs over the past uh, a couple of years there. So that that's definitely one of the motivating factors. It, it may also just be, you know, taking advantage of a chance that's come up as, you know, the U.S. is distracted in other places like China, um, especially with um, China acting more aggressive towards Taiwan, um, you know, would the U.S. get stuck in um, to defending Ukraine? I mean, I, I can't see it, personally. I, I think... can't see any NATO member getting into a shooting war with Russia over Ukraine. Uh, hmm, I don't know. I'm kind of 
the thing with Taiwan is it's mostly going to be naval. And while the Ukraine is the majority is going to be land, land-based, and Taiwan is more air force slash navy, since there's not a lot of land to defend on, on Taiwan's case, unless you're planning on invading mainland China, which is, I don't think, something the U.S. will ever do. I think the assumption um, is that a, um, a a shooting war would not just be limited you know, between Russia and NATO in Ukraine. I, I, I think the assumption is that it would not continue to be like that. Um, which, you know, as doomers we want to be about something like that, of course, you know, if Russia and NATO were to decide to go at it in Ukraine, I, I don't think any of us think that it, it would be limited to that area. Oh, no, definitely. They'll, they'll, we'll see some hotspots, maybe the Balk... Uh, well, we got both the Baltic states and then the, the Caucasus region. Yeah. There, are hot, there are, well, there are pressure points, let's so to say, um, but they can be turned into more active zones quite quickly if Russia really wanted to. Yeah, I, I just, I think that it, it's something that has the risk of devolving much more quickly than um, a lot of people think. It, it would not be a limited conflict if the US and Russia were to get involved with each other. Oh no, oh no. It's just hard to guess at this point. I think, you know, maybe maybe it's all just posturing again from Russia and, and ends up being a false claim. I think it's just kind of hard to predict at this point. Yeah, I'm, I'm... Given what they've been doing over the last couple of years, with like building up, drawing down, building up, getting everyone like kind of spooked almost, and then just not doing anything. Yeah, just, just to make my thinking clear here, I, I, I do believe that this is, as of right now, just posturing. Um, just because we haven't seen really the movement to back it up, and it's still, we're mainly just seeing statements from various European and powers, the U.S. and Russia. Um, and and actually, one of the, one of the one of the key things, and I I uh, I'll have to get my um, French bashing bashing in for the episode, but um, Macron saying that um, France would defend uh, uh, Ukraine unequivocally definitely makes me uh, think that there isn't an actual risk to Ukraine. Um, just for, for uh, uh, someone like Macron to come out and make a statement like that sort of makes me think that, you know, he doesn't think he'll have to actually back it up. I don't know. The French are pretty, uh, can be pretty, how to say, uh, I'm looking for the word here. Feisty? They're, yeah, they're pretty up in there, you know, like they, they, they're in very, their heart lies within Europe, you know, like they're pretty tough for when it comes to stuff in Europe. They won't, Mm-hmm. I feel that's how it feels like, you know, they, the European, look at their industry um, in terms of weapons and all that stuff. It's all very European focused, or that they're trying to, and then... And that's they, why they I, faced off with Turkey a little while back, didn't they? Was that, I don't think it was this year, it might have been last year. I think uh, there were some pretty harsh words traded between um, Turkey and France. I can't remember exactly what it was over now, probably sounds ridiculous, but there was definitely a uh, concern, shall we say, that there could have been an incident between those two. Yeah, I just don't think the French government would sort of pin themselves into a corner over something like that. Oh, no. Um, if there no, was I, truly I, a I, massive threat of it happening. Um, so that that's, again, I, I could be completely wrong, and I've, I've prefaced a lot of my statements with this, but um, that's, that's, <laughs> that's just an explanation of my current thinking. It's, it's the lack of, you know, that we've seen posted online and, and posted through sources. And then just that... The statements we're seeing generally indicate to me that like countries don't believe they'll actually have to back up any sort of Russian aggression with force. Um, 
But yeah, and then of course there's the other side of, you know, countries may be afraid that Russia is prepared to cut off European oil supplies, so. Yeah, I mean, I mean, my kind of assumption of if anything does happen is it's going to be a, um, a, a, a you know, Russia using their proxies more than anything else in the offensive. I can't see there being a large-scale invasion. Um, I think if anything does happen, it will be their proxies that start the push. Um, Russia might like they did in 2014, 2015, by I say might, I think they probably will support with artillery fire from inside Ukraine, or inside Russia, sorry. Um, they shot down at least one Ukrainian aircraft, allegedly, with a system from inside Russia. So I, I think that's more than likely what will happen, to, to begin with, at least. Um and another reason I'm starting to think that is, I don't know if you've seen the video I posted on Twitter um, in the last hour or so of what is claimed to be from Crimea. Um, but it looks like, I haven't looked at it, I don't think it's a T9, I think it's almost certainly a T-72. Um, but that's been equipped with, uh, oh God. you know, you need like slap like... armor, but oh, slap okay. armor, yeah. Like the, bar, the, the, the bars, the bars and stuff. Yeah, oh, I see so, what you mean. Uh, the, yeah, the, um, the the shape charge cages. Um, the yeah, the, but, the shape charge defensive uh, armor. Yeah, but it's it's clearly designed for um top down preventing top, top down, down attacks. Attack. Yeah, yeah, preventing top down attacks. Which you know, considering Ukraine have recently got um javelin ATGMs, which have the capability of that seems like a little more than a coincidence to me that they've now suddenly um, and in the replies to my tweet there, someone's posted an article saying, you know, as far back as July this year Russia started fitting their tanks with these kind of cages, um, almost kind of in a panic, just very quickly um, welding bars to the top of the tanks, like it didn't seem planned at all um, Wait, is that a and T-72 obviously that... or a T-80? I honestly, I honestly can't oh, tell, they all look pretty much the same to me at, the, at this point the best way to ch- tell Russian or Soviet tanks is always by looking at the road wheels, I found. But, of course, this video is from front on, so yeah, <laughs> this usually, is no way of seeing the I'm, road wheels. What I'm used to is the, by the shape of the turret, but unfortunately, basically, by by now, pretty much every single Russian tank in their inventory has some level of explosive reactive composite armor just sort of slapped on, um, which makes identification really, really difficult, because it's... It seems like every single application on every single tank is in some way, shape, or form unique. Like, it, it, it legitimately looks like mechanics have just gone, you know, super glue onto every single tank, just slapping on ERA blocks. Yeah. No, definitely. Um, and I can't tell if that's a normal kind of, like, lamp, or if it's one of those, um, I forget the name of the Russian system that they put on the T-90s more than anything else, the, oh, the active the protections. Terms, uh, uh, active protections? No, that's that's not a terms. Um, no, that's that's an IR, that's an IR uh, spotlight for a night vision oh, system. Oh, yeah. Which actually would indicate yeah, that this tank uh, is not equipped with uh, thermal sights, which would... Shoot, I'm trying to forget the T80 had a thermal sight. You know, honestly, when you post this video and someone's like gonna immediately identify what it is, and I'm gonna feel like oh yeah, oh yeah, <laughs> they're gonna be like, no man, it's a T60. <laughs> <laughs> T60 with extra stuff. Yeah, no, but I mean, that's what so it seems that you know these kind of that kind of protection 
is only really useful against two things: against javelins or similar. Well, I even or, I even wonder how um, how drones, I even wonder how how well it will hold up against a javelin, given that oh nothing they probably too <laughs> also have some form at, the, at least in this stage now some sort of penetration capability, and will probably oh, slice straight through. Well, as I said, so the article I was reading um, said, you know, a lot of them were, you know, they weren't, um, like, officially put on. It was kind of, like, individual, like, commanders and tank crews deciding to just weld these bars of metal to, like, the roofs of their own tanks. Yeah. Um, like, almost, you know, like what you kind of see in Syria from, <laughs> from the groups there. Um, but between that and also the article today of, um, there was two... Russian industries. I want to say one of them was coal, and the other one might have been steel. I'm probably completely wrong there. Um, but both of them are now complaining they're having um, issues moving their product because the the train lines are so clogged up. Um, which is interesting, considering you know it, you can make the assumption or or make the connection maybe that we've seen a lot of movement of Russian equipment on trains in recent weeks. Um, and now, you know, you've got these kind of industries complaining that, you know, they can't move their product because the train lines are are, are backed up. You, you know, you have to wonder, you know, we're not seeing that many videos, but how much equipment really is getting moved for, you know, for it to cause such an issue in yeah. a country like that. But I mean, then again, it makes you wonder why are they publi- publicly setting it? It's almost like it's psyops mm. at this point, you know, like just to, to, to give an analogy, like kind of outside the defense. Well, it's the same if any of you watch Formula One, you see Mercedes mm-hmm. saying this, oh, you know, we're terrible. We're super slow. And then the next day they drive fast as lap and win the race yeah. by like a huge margin. The, the, the it's purposeful, just obscene. Yeah, the, yeah, exactly. Sandbagging, yeah. It's, it's like um, you, you wouldn't say that publicly if there's like I, I can't see them saying that publicly if and then giving like in this case, quote unquote, giving away. Um, huge movements over rail by, well, their main contractor, the Russian military of defense. Yeah, and no, see, exactly. that, that's the kind of stuff that, like, if we were seeing that plus videos of movement, I would think that it would just be the Russians, you know, don't have control over, you know, the media environment. They don't have control over social media. They, they, their, their opsec is really terrible. But then you see both messages like that getting out, but then no, absolutely or no Russian social media posting and you sort of like the two things can't be true the Russians can't be like completely or nearly completely suppressing social media and also allowing you know various companies to issue press releases and you know complain about these things no exactly um and I, I just found the article I was referring to um yeah so it's the Russian um it's a Russian steel association um and a petroleum giant um, and what's interesting is the um, the newspaper reporting it, the Russian newspaper, is normally seen as quite, um, they're not a government mouthpiece, we say. Like, I've seen a lot of Russians who are in favor of the government. They don't like it. Uh, this commissant, commissant, I'm probably pronouncing that horrifically. Um, but funnily enough, I got into a, an argument on Twitter the other day with some Russian nationalist who was, arguing black and blue that there were no Russians in Ukraine. Um and I provided him with a you know an article from from this newspaper. Um and yeah he he you know he said, said apparently a lot of Russians don't like them. They seem as like anti Russian because 
they report things that the government doesn't like. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, the fact that it's this newspaper that's reporting these difficulties and not state media kind of swings it back towards more of a concern to me rather than it just maybe being psyops. Yeah, but at the same time, they would have to be suppressing like all of social media, but they can't suppress a single newspaper. Yeah, no, that is that is very true. Um, yeah, it's it's interesting. Like, I mean, like looking back now, like you know, like March and April, that definitely seems more like posturing than now does. I mean, that's um, the thing, you know, with with these this this day and age, you can't really do anything in secrecy over land mm-hmm. at least anymore, because everyone just has cell phones these days, and there's always people that in, in anyone's country that don't support whatever they're government is doing, I'll just, I'll just be taking pics because they think it's cool, you know, oh, it looks like a, a nice train and whatever. So, I think it's it's really hard to do at least in this day and age, a build-up without your enemy already knowing about it days in advance because of social media these days. Yeah, no, that's, exactly. that's I mean, a, they, can, they can move at night. I, I mean, you have to do it at night, and then even, even then... Yes, it's it's a bit more easygoing because most people then generally be asleep. But still, you know, you're not going to be able to move eighty two or eighty like eighty plus tanks across the railway without someone catching an eye of it. If you're going oh, from yeah, no. Russia all the way into Ukraine. But um, I'm sure as well. So obviously, we had the build up again back in March and April, um, and a lot of equipment um, was moved to that. Training ground um, north of Ukraine, um, but then I remember the the soldiers left, but the equipment didn't. From what I remember, the equipment stayed there, did it not? So could that not also account for why we don't see as many trains? Is a lot of it just you know they haven't had to move it in; they've just left it there. Such as like you know the the bases in Crimea as well. You know, not a lot. You know, obviously things moved in, but did everything move out? Oh, at yeah, the end that, of those, what they call maybe, exercises. Yeah, maybe we are thinking too much in a US term where they always move all their equipment with their battalion and just swap everything out instead of leaving stuff for the next. I don't know if Russia's like yeah. the same. You know, if you see every, every what's that, year, year and a half? Right now, actually, like one of the, the US's air cavalries is with going back to the US and all their helicopters are flying through the Netherlands, going out via ship back to the US and new stuff will get shipped in. Instead of them just leaving their birds here and then handing it over, they'll just bring their own equipment to him to and from, which is a very yeah, US guess, thing to do. I suppose there's advantages and disadvantages to both uh, to both ways of doing it. Well, I mean, if um, there isn't equipment there in the first place, you're going to have to bring it in. Period. End of story. Mm-hmm. So. Oh know. yeah, but like like Carl said, they already brought it in last like early earlier this year, and if they haven't brought it back. And they're just adding a couple tanks here and a couple things there. And it's a little bit easier to manage than bringing in those 80 plus pieces of armor. No, oh, exactly. And yeah. I think additionally, um, I forget who it is. Sorry, I uh, just got to look this up real quick. There is an account who has been, thank God, purchasing um, Sentinel uh, synthetic aperture radar imagery of um, the staging areas in um, Russia that are near the Ukrainian border. And I, I just will have to preface this by the fact that uh, 
you know, the satellite radar imagery can be, you know, spoofed. It can be fooled with by, you know, deflectors on the ground and different types of um, of jamming methods. But it sort of looks like the Russians are starting to assemble more vehicles into um, uh, into various um, motor pools um, in the staging grounds. But it still isn't like a massive buildup that's um, that's visible, at least on satellite right now. No, yeah, I mean, like the satellite imagery is, it's, it blows my mind that I know obviously you can't pay for it, but it blows my mind that you know just any of us can go on and just look at free, oh yeah, definitely satellite imagery of you know most places on the planet. It's crazy. Um, and going back to what you said earlier, uh, technical about the the water issue in Crimea, I remember again going back to March, April, um, I looked at some satellite imagery of like one of the biggest reservoirs in Crimea. Um, and it was it was dry, you know. They were having major major issues at that time. There was there was next to no water in it. Um, so it's definitely definitely a concern. Um, and just looking at a map, I mean, where that uh, dam is that Ukraine have built, it's I, I, without getting the measuring tool out, I can tell you. But I want to say it's like ten to fifteen kilometers from the Crimean border. And that's that's no distance. That's no distance at all. They could they could destroy that dam without leaving Crimea with just you know conventional artillery if they wanted to. Um, I don't know if they would though because that you know just shell in a dam just seems like you can create a bigger dam with rubble. Um, but you, you know it, it would definitely be no no effort at all to Russia to you know take that small step into Ukraine and take control of that dam if, if water was was a big issue for them. Um I forgot what I was gonna say. Uh but I'll be ahead in the last uh in the last half hour or so I've just seen um that the uh State Department spokesman has said US support of Ukraine isn't just rhetoric. Um, rhetoric's important, but also security assistance we've provided, noting 400 million committed since the start of Biden admin, which, you know, it's a lot of money. Um, well, it's, it's not just but, money, it's also um, hard supplies like arms and ammunition. Um, that's oh, a, yeah. That's a huge mm-hmm. asset for the Ukrainians, um, for the U.S. to be providing them with. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. No, yeah, exactly. we saw a, a large shipment of, of ammo coming into Ukraine last week, and the last week I think it was via one of the civilian uh, cargo contractors from the US. Yes. Uh, oh yeah. Dover Air Force like Base. Eighty yeah. million rounds of ammunition or something like that, wasn't it? Yeah. Something, some weird number. A very huge amount. Yeah, I think like like a couple pellets with uh, all these crates. Yeah, um, and also today as well. If we're talking about you know like things that are, are like kind of. Um, escalating that Ukraine admitted that they've used the Javelin missile today for the first time. Um, they didn't say when or where it happened, um, but they said it was used. Um, I imagine it happened probably fairly recently, considering the when they used the uh, the TB2 for the first time. I think they announced it same day, didn't they? Or at least maybe 24 hours later. It was very very quick that they announced that they you know used their their new toys. Um, so, I mean, I don't know why they've used the javelin. I mean, it's like, I'm guessing they've just maybe fired it at a, maybe an outpost or a trench line or something like that just to maybe 
use it, test it, whatever. Um, but you know, the the more um, you know, kind of little escalations like this happen. You know, like the use of the drone, the use of javelins. Um, when they moved into you know so-called you know like no man's land and took like a village that wasn't defended, but very slightly changed the front line. Um, a few weeks back, well, probably maybe a month or so back, even longer. I can't remember. Um, but you know these these they they, they seem to be making like seems to be small escalations every couple of weeks or so. Um, and even even if Russia themselves don't act, I feel like you know something is bound to happen. Like I, I don't think that you know the, the conflict can't isn't sustainable. In its current form, to just you know, especially for any kind of president, you know, having having your soldiers die, um, you know, several times a week, you know, it it it's not, you know, it's not sustainable for anyone who wants to stay president for more than one term. Um, yeah, so I think something's going to happen, um, like a full scale Russian invasion. I doubt it, um, but. I feel like definitely there's going to be an attempt by one side or the other to try and regain some land. Um, yeah. I mean, I think and, if anything's going to happen from the Russian side, we're probably going to see some sort of escalation during the winter, just because that is the time that Russia has sort of this stranglehold over most of Europe with the their natural gas and oil supplies. That's, mm-hmm. I mean, if the Russians weren't to take advantage of that, that would be like China trying to invade Taiwan during typhoon season. It just—it's it, not yeah. a good idea. No, exactly. yeah, definitely. Like the whole, yeah, that's the the issue with a lot of Europe being dependent on on Russia. They, we can send all the troops we want, but as soon as they cut off the gas, then we're all kind of yeah. effed. Interesting. Yeah. Interestingly enough, uh, winter in Europe is also the uh, not typhoon season in uh, in Asia. So take take from that what you may, but um, you know. <laughs> And and I know this is one of those you know crackpot ideas that everyone's been throwing around. Or correction, pretty much just me at this point um, of you know Russia oh, yeah, that's and China <laughs> attempting attempting to do some sort of uh, joint um, uh, sort of action both against Ukraine and uh, Taiwan at the same time, which would absolutely split the U.S.'s focus. And as we saw during Afghanistan, the U.S. has a finite number of strategic airlift. Uh, tools, which could definitely be impacted by trying to manage two things at once. Oh, no, definitely. Um, and that's probably a good segue. I don't know if we, if we, if we want to discuss it much or not, but the, uh, the uptick in US aircraft over Europe at the moment, I don't oh, think anyone wants to... If anyone wants to speculate on that one? Um, well, yeah, we've seen, we've seen definitely a... Um, an increase in uh, reach call sign, which is Air Mobility Command, um, going somewhere. In we, we've seen them basically, <laughs> and that's all we up, know so far. We've seen them popping up over Europe and then dropping off over uh, over uh, southeastern Europe and Turkey. Um, yeah, I mean, didn't, so I didn't one of the? I think someone mentioned it yesterday. Um, in, I think I saw it in the tweet of the. the I'm not sure both of you are in the, in the Mata Osin one. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they're all going to Djibouti. Pretty much all of them have been rooting to Africa over the Red Sea. 
um, some come, most going through Ramstein and a couple going through uh, what's that Rhoda slash Moron. Well, I think mostly Rhoda at this at this point. Or they're um, hooking up with uh, aerial refueling assets, um, flying out oh, of yeah. Spain as well. Yeah, through through straight to Gibraltar and then going. Um, but yeah, they're all pretty much they've all been uh, going in and out of Djibouti for like ninety percent of the flights. Um, and now I just saw your tweet uh, about the UN also withdrawing their people from Ethiopia. Um, so it seems that there's some stuff going on down south in uh, on the, in Africa as well. Yeah, and I think actually that's probably a good time as as sort of we talk about you know how the U.S. you know potentially wants to respond to Ethiopia. Um, and whether or not the U.S. is, you know, potentially planning another Afghan-style airlift from Ethiopia, maybe, but probably not. Um, so I've missed this. What's been happening in Ethiopia? I'm kind of not seen much of that pop up on my timeline. I've kind of not had the time to dig into that much. Uh, yeah. So uh, we talked about this in the last podcast, but basically, um, uh, the Ethiopian um, government forces are getting absolutely routed. Um, by the Tigray People's Liberation Forces um, from the north of the country, who used to be basically in control of the whole country until um, uh, uh, the new uh, uh, or new Ethiopian president was elected and sort of reformed things. But um, in in the last couple of weeks since we've talked about that, um, the Tigrayan forces have continued to push south at a fairly um, quick speed. They're making very good progress against uh, the Ethiopian government forces. Um, they're sort of right now, um, at least according to the Ethiopian map, which is uh, run by Woofers, um, and I consider fair or very reliable. Um, currently, uh, there are about four um, different um, sort of uh, different uh, lines of offense down towards the uh, capital of um, of Ethiopia, and we're we're sort of seeing the the Tigrayan forces continue to make good progress. Uh, recently, actually. Just uh, just yesterday, the Ethiopian president just said he was um, leaving to uh, to lead his troops from the front line. Um, oh yeah, that's, that's, that that's, yeah. that's definitely something you hear when your uh, presidency is uh, stable. Yeah, and I, I mean, it's 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 more than likely going to be. I mean, nothing's probably going to happen. But I mean, who was that president that did the same? Was it Chad? The president of Chad did the same thing and ended up getting killed. Um, was that this year? Yeah, that was not too long ago. I think it was just before the summer. Yeah, it was Chad, right? I'm, I'm not getting the country wrong on that. Uh, I'm going to wait. I'm gonna have to quickly fact my track. Fact check yeah, myself. On Chad's that president oh. Idris Deby dies after crashes clashes with rebel. That was uh, April this year. Yeah, and, and I mean, I came out of nowhere as well, didn't it? Like, I mean, <laughs> he just suddenly like opened Twitter, and I was like, oh, you know, Chad's president's died. And I was like, you know, that was crazy. Um, but from what I could understand, like he was there as a kind of a PR thing. Like I think I don't think he was like right on the uh, the front line, was he? He was kind of a little bit back behind the front line. I don't know if he hit a mine or if they were ambushed or I don't know what happened um, there. But I don't think he was ever there to kind of lead his army, as the Ethiopian one, the Ethiopian president said. Yeah, I think you're right. Like it wasn't. It's not. It was. He's not. I don't know how he ended up dying, but it wasn't in the same fashion as what, like you just said, Ethiopian president said. No, exactly. Um, 
but so we're talking about like the airlift. Uh, would there need to be a kind of Afghan style airlift for Ethiopia? Sorry. Like so, obviously one of one of the theories about the increase in um in U.S. aircraft kind of heading out towards Djibouti, and you know people could uh, suggestion that maybe it was to do with Ethiopia and um the UN pulling their staff out. Are there that many people that would need to be evacuated from Ethiopia that would require such a large operation? No, no, so- definitely, and it probably is more bringing in stuff than taking stuff out in this sense, at least oh, from yeah, the US point well. of view. But you know, there's still we could see some sort of uh, military, military units deployed throughout Africa um, that we're not really allowed to, I'm not really allowed to talk about in sort of sense, you know, like this, we, we all kind of know there's people there, but we don't really know where they are and, and what they're doing. But it's pretty oh, clear yeah. that there's still special forces on the ground. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, definitely. It's not that I know anything more than than we do, <laughs> by the way, but it's just like <laughs> oh yeah, I, I, I said a lot more. Oh no, <laughs> no, I said a lot more suspicious than it meant to be. You know, like we all know they're kind of there, but we also kind of don't know where where is there. You know, in that sense. But Djibouti, yeah. Djibouti, you know, it's the it's the main uh, one of the main hubs the U.S. has in in Africa, at least on that side of the continent. Because um, I don't think that they're not really active in Mali at all. It's more Europe. Slash France. You know, we also had the terror attack in the UK that might be worth talking about yes, real quick. We did. Um, that was on. I think Wednesday. So Wednesday last I week. Was, yeah, I was on. Yeah, it was. It was the first day I went away. Um, so it looks like it was a failed suicide bomb. Well, I say failed suicide bombing. Um, luckily, the only person killed was the bomber um, in the attack, which uh, was all mostly, well, I say mostly, it was almost entirely thanks to the taxi driver who drove the bomber in his car, realised he had a bomb on him, um, and locked him in the vehicle, so which he then exploded in the car and killed yeah. only himself and wounded the uh, taxi driver. Mm-hmm. It was Monday, by the way, last week. Just checked. Um, was it Monday? Yeah. Fifteenth wow. of November. Wow. It's been a week already. But what we did see afterwards was some. We saw, of course, obviously CT CTS four. We also saw some UKSF on the ground, um, mm-hmm. assisting armed police in, uh, I believe, the arrest of what are they, three individuals. Quite quickly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, um... of course, her Hereford is not that far away. You know, they have the helicopters. They have other means um i don't know if how um you guys work differently than than how we have it here with counterterrorism. you guys just have your ctsfo on like super short notice and then the ss is a bit more out of ways um honestly it's not something i'm aware of i don't know if technical i don't know if you (laughs) have very in-depth knowledge on uh, British counterterrorism, policing. I think John would have been the expert here. Carry on. Um, something interesting. I've just spotted about this um, bombing in in uh, Liverpool. Um, so the bomber, or presumed bomber, well, it was the only one that was uh, killed. So the the bomber 
Um, it says here he was Iraqi, um, but he converted from Islam to Christianity. That's Before, a, that's a step. You, yeah. So he uh, his he is his application for asylum was refu- refused in 2014, um, and subsequent legal challenges rejected. The Home Office at the time of this article hadn't commented on whether it had ordered them to leave the UK. Um, and then it says since this period he converted from Islam to Christianity and adopted a new name. Um. So that's really unusual. So I, I, I mean, I'm guilty of just kind of assuming the whole thing was, you know, Islamic terrorism related. Um, but if he converted to Christianity, that's really, really unusual. Unless, yeah. he, unless, he, unless he converted back, um, which it, it doesn't say. Um, but yeah, and even if he did it to try and, you know, fool you know, feel fool the system, fool the you know, fool security services. Um, it's quite an extreme step, and I don't know if I've heard of other kind of, you know, terrorists doing that. No, I um, mean, like it has been in a lot of cases, it was like terrorist attacks based on the Islamic religion, not to say that all them are, uh, definitely not. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you say, it's a bit of a weird step if you go from one to the other, and then um, you don't just don't like looking at the facts. You just don't see it a lot, uh, and that's not being trying to be racist. That's just actual no, no. facts. Um, that it has been the majority has been terrorists based on the the Islamic religions due to the nature of the war that has been had been going on for the past twenty years. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. That, that's that's really intrigued me though the fact that he converted to Christianity. He doesn't say when, but. I think I'm going to, maybe after this podcast later, I'm going to do a bit more digging on that and find out, you know, if there's been an update on on exactly, you know, if if there was a motive, you know, if what the target was or, or anything. Um, yeah, yeah, but I'll definitely, definitely try and look into that. I mean, yeah, like, um, like, if you're going for something like a hospital, then I think at this point you're just going for the most casualties as possible because there's a lot of people on a, on a very tight, place so to say you'd like somewhere like a shopping mall as well those kind of like um yeah and there was also a um a remembrance parade quite close to the hospital which um at the time i think was the the kind of um yeah i think people kind of almost ruled out the hospital as being a target and kind of assumed that this kind of remembrance parade which um was quite nearby. Oh, it could have been that, just to drop off, to walk. Yeah, Yeah, both both at least are high, are places where you could potentially cause a high high count of casualties. Yes, Um, and it looks like we've got technical back. Technical, are you there? I have come back to a conversation that I was not expecting you guys to be making. (laughs) (laughs) Which, which, I, which am, part am, I gonna, am I going to have to do heavy editing of this episode? No, no, no. I, I was just not. saying I found an article <laughs> on the uh, the the um, the Liverpool bomber converted from Islam oh, yeah. to Christianity, yeah. which which I thought was quite interesting. 
um, concerning. I don't think there was this being like a motive or or a kind of confirmed target of of the attack. Um, and I was just saying, I thought it was quite unusual for. I mean, I I I, I don't know of any kind of kind of attacks in which you know the so called the attackers have. Yeah, I mean, it's really hard. It's really hard to ascribe any, you know, motivations or anything with the lack of evidence we have. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're just, you know, there isn't that much evidence in the entire situation. We, we, have, we have a few solid facts we know and, and very little else just due to the nature of the, the UK justice system. We, and we probably won't have a lot of information for a while. Um, I guess that's something we're probably just going to have to, to wait for. Um, and sort of see what comes out as it comes out. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I, I yeah. was just kind of caught off guard because, again, I haven't, I mean, you know, the attack happened or was stopped, luckily, shall we say. Um, and then, you know, luckily because the attack was stopped as such and the only casualty was the um, the attacker, I, I mean, I personally, I, I didn't really follow up much on it. You know, there was... There was no reason as such to kind of, for me to kind of look into it that much, um, but yeah, I think I'm going to try and pay a bit more attention to this in the coming weeks and months to see if more details do come out. Because quite an interesting, uh, interesting kind of I, fact. I, I have to ask this: Are are you just stalling at this point so you don't have to talk about the F thirty five? <laughs> I think that's a good well, next I was trying, I was just, I was, We're just sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was trying to think of what a good segue would be. Anyway, I was like, how do I, how do I change? <laughs> no, just to quickly <laughs> note again on on the SAS deploying, that there is a there is a drive. It's because they were there on scene pretty quick, but then again, I didn't see any images of the helicopter coming in. Maybe no, they no, land no, quite no, outside. You're but, as well. but it's but it's about a two and a half, <laughs> three hour drive from Hereford all the way up to. Uh, to Liverpool, so for the, how quickly they were, they might have been in the area or something, but because they were there a lot quicker than three hours after the incident. No, yeah, not no, a, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm sure they utilized air transportation. They probably had such as an F thirty five would have got there a lot quicker than three yeah. hours. F thirty five, go. F thirty five and a random Sea King to pick you up from the water. Oh yeah. All right, shall we uh, segue to the F thirty five then? Is that when we uh gonna gonna have to, aren't we? Think yeah. we might have to, yeah. Who wants to go first? Hey, you guys, you're so uh, our beautiful planet. Not yours, it was the British one. Nothing American about it, except that it might have been made there. Built in America, baby. That's true. So, like the crash site, did we kind of? From what I saw, it was close to the entry and slash exit of the Suez Canal because it was kind of in the region of that. Um, has there been any more info released on it, or is it obviously probably very hush hush in yeah, general? All, all we really know, pilot survived uninjured, I believe. Um, Martin Baker definitely uh, loved to advertise that fact. Um, and yeah, that's 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 you'll get a nice high. That's sort of where it stands right now. Um, there's a recovery effort ongoing um, that I believe the U.S. is assisting with um, in order to keep certain other countries from acquiring an F-35. Um, 
but yeah, apart from that, that's that's pretty much what's uh, going on. Yeah, I haven't even seen any yeah. uptick in, tra in traffic, or at least air traffic over the region in terms of looking, security, that kind of stuff. Oh, I'm sure they would absolutely have transponders off. I know the Queen Elizabeth um, is staying in the region. Um, I have to thought the, CS the CSG moved on, because at least the Dutch ship was in Sicily and is now on its way back to towards the, pardon me, Gibraltar Strait, and then back to, well, the Netherlands. Um along with the rest of the CSG. Okay, they may have recovered the plane already then. Um, I mean, I, I, don't, I don't see what the point is for the U, uh, the, the Queen Elizabeth to stay in the area, because you got RAF Akrotiri nearby, where you can launch F-35, uh, your, sorry, your Eurofighters from. You can have, uh, you have Inserlik with US planes, if you need, I mean, if you absolutely you need, need to you, defend. You need surface assets. Oh yeah, but like there's more in in the region than just the CSG ships, right? You know the the Brits already have other assets that are more permanently in in the area than the CSG, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I I, I do wonder what is um, actually on the surface there right now, because uh, AIS doesn't actually show that much in the area at the moment. No, and then the other thing is you don't need uh, a large amount of military vessels. You need like recovery vessels which i don't think are going to be military in that sense because i don't think we have any any neither the dutch the, the brits or the us have any recover military recovering like recovery ships for that kind of operations that are going to be a civilian civilian contract at one but for the that's for like military the, it is, it is yeah. um there are i believe u.s salvage ships um that were operating um to recover the wreck all right there you go then which is what I didn't realize. That apparently, the wreck is over a mile below the surface, so that's going to cause some issues in recovering it. Well, not issues, but it, you know, if, difficult. If you're desperate enough, it, yeah. can be um, gone. it can be gone. Oh yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So see, it says you. Um, so obviously, like you, um, UK, pretty quickly went to the US to help um, to help them recover. The the aircraft. Um, of course, at times you have a paywall on the article I was trying to look up again because I'd seen it the other day. Um, but I'm sure it mentioned that they were planning to use um, like re remote control submersibles to uh, recover the recover the jet, um, which is pretty cool. Um, there's something there's a Cold War incident I'm trying to think of, in which didn't the US hire some billionaire to uh, steal a Miyakra of a sunken Russian sub or US sub? Uh, I remember shoot, that right. of the um uh shoot um sorry I am going to have to Google this real quick I know what this is it's called uh, let me. Double check real quick. Um, the recovery of the uh, submarine K one twenty in uh, that's it. it yeah. Um, but if we again try and not to go off track too much again, um, back to the F thirty five. When when was the last? Apart from this one, obviously, when was the last incident involving an F thirty five? So obviously, everyone knows it had you know a lot of issues with development, didn't it? Um, 
that seems so. I think that was the, the most recent was US one off the coast of yeah. Florida slash the south somewhere over there. Yeah, so 29 September 2020, a US Marine Corps F-35B crashed in California. Of course, the collision. Earlier in 2020, an F-35A crashed while landing. Yeah, Eglin, that's Florida. That's the one I was remember. I remembered. Um, and in 2019, um, I think was it was it a Japanese? Is that yeah? Is that JACF? That's yeah, Japanese, that's the Japanese right? uh, Air Self Defense Force. Yeah. So there's been there's been a you know not insignificant number of incidents. Um over the last two years or so. Um, again, you, you two might have a better idea than me of current, you know, comparable um, aircraft, I don't know, like whether that's Russian aircraft or, you know, 16s or whatever, um, how often they have issues or, you know, is is the, you know, the amount of losses that F-35 seems to be having or seems to be suffering kind of the norm or is it unusual, should we say? So you're kind of hard to follow. Your mic is. Yeah, I, I think you were breaking up with oh. us there. Oh, sorry. Is that is that better? Yeah. The, oh, that's yeah. much better. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. Um, what I was asking is, so over the last four years, um, there's been, well, there's been there's been four losses of F thirty five, should we say, over the last four years. Um, I was trying to ask you, you know, is that the kind of, is that normal for aircraft or like new aircraft like that or is that out of the ordinary which might kind of suggest a kind of deeper issue i think and i'm gonna look this up to confirm it i think the f-16 had a lot uh in the beginning a lot of incidents um okay see that look at this the f-16 has been involved in over 670 whole loss accidents since uh, as of january 2020 um, and when did when did it come into service, the F-16? Uh, let me have a look. Scroll up real quick. Uh, first flight was 74. Uh, introduction and in service was in 78. Okay. But that's 670 so... losses over a total of 4,600 built. Wow. I mean, that's not an insignificant percentage, though, is it? <laughs> Does... Oh. I mean, just the other day, the Greeks... Is that, is that US up... only, or is that, no, is that that's, total? That's yeah, total. I imagine that's not US only. No, that's that's total. And just the other day, the, Gre- the Greeks uh, lost an F-35 um, over, well, Greece, after takeoff. That was last week as well. They, uh, I think F-16? there were like three... Yeah, there were, yeah, sorry, F-16. There were like three plane crash incidents over the span of one week. I mean, it Last week, we had the F-35 one, we had the F-16 from Greece, and then I think there was another one, but I can't remember. Yeah, I mean, these things happen. It's it's not an unusual thing to see. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes not even plane error, it's it's pilot error, so it can always be, then it kind of, it's regardless of whatever plane it is, um, if it's a pilot error. It could, it could well happen with, happen with any plane. Yeah, I mean, airliners built to be safety first, military jets or not. It's it's just a reality. 
You got that as yeah. well. The most funny incident this year, well, funny, quote-unquote, was that Belgian F-16 that drove into a building at Leeuwarden Air Force Base in the Netherlands. It uh, by accident kicked into afterburner and uh, drove into a building. The pilot ejected and was unharmed, luckily, but the F-16 was, uh, was a loss. I mean, there was also that Ukrainian uh, pilot that drove his car into a jet. <laughs> they were both on the ground. That was uh, <laughs> an interesting one. Um, yeah, and I, and I suppose, you know, again, like, luckily, um, you know, the pilots, again, in the most, well, in the most recent loss, the, the British, the British F-35, uh, again, he ejected safe, was picked up fine. Um, I'm not sure if he was injured at all, um, but, you know, luckily he, he absolutely survived. Um, and that reminds me of, um, this year, again, you know, kind of looped it back towards Russia. I swear Russia had two incidents very, very close together in uh, aircraft in which aircraft in which their ejector seats malfunctioned whilst on the ground um, and just unexpectedly fired when the, uh, the pilot was, you know, preparing to take off or was just not even preparing to take off, just kind of getting everybody in the, the ejector seats um, activated. And I... I I remember looking at I can't remember what aircraft it was, but that aircraft, the one that had the ejector seat malfunction, had quite a high um, rate of of hull loss as well. Uh, so it's definitely not a it's definitely not just a an American issue um, by any stretch. No, no, definitely. Um, I mean, we've not seen much Eurofighter or. Gripping from Saab losses, but I mean, then again, there's also a lot less out there. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That's that's the other thing. There's just generally a lot less of them. I mean, at this point, I believe there are less than F-35s at this point. Yeah. So, you know. Yeah, take it that way you will. The 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 shit eating grin on my face right now is is. <laughs> I mean, we've seen on the F-35, Spain has now uh, become interested in both the A and the B model. They have officially uh, requested information from Lockheed Martin uh, I mean, for what both. Else they, what else are they going to do to replace their Harriers? Come on. You have a yeah, no, you get the F-35 and the Hornet. B, period. End yeah, of story. There's and, no other points. Exactly. There's no other VTOL available. So they're looking for F-35As to replace their Hornets and then Bs to replace the Harriers and then also maintain the their Eurofighter fleet with a big upgrade package. Um, they don't want to get rid of that because they are uh, fans of that, so to say. Saab, Saab vigorously trying to make the gripe in a, a VTOL plane. <laughs> I don't know. Saab is Saab, you know, they, they were a car company once and then they kind of, they're not anymore. They're just two planes, but they don't have... Wait, do they not cars anymore? I don't think they do. No, Saab don't. is kind of... They've quit cars like five... That's Plus not, years ago, I believe. I believe. So, oh, there you go. Not. Oh wow, I had no idea. Uh, no, but like you know, there's now I think it was the Czech Republic that Le- was leasing sa- Grippens, and are also now looking towards F-35s. Uh, let me let me find it because one of the defense con- article writers wrote about it. Yeah, I know there's some um, issues with the um, Swiss F-35 deal because apparently documents were destroyed or something. But um, I know the thing is in goes. in. 
the thing in Swiss is that the the, the country, the, the the inhabitants of the country have to vote on it. Like here, it is you know all our our defense people and all that stuff. They kind of lobby for it and all whatnot. But in 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 Swiss, there's actually like some sort of like a referendum, with with all the civilians. Like everyone has to vote on on, on that kind of issue, you know, because F thirty five. Well, it's a lot of money, um, obviously. But um, yeah, so there've been things with that 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 a lot of people were not um, agreeing with the decision. Like it, the the vote for the F thirty five, I think it passed with like very marginally um there were because you know people are complaining it's loud and all that stuff and, and whatnot but it's just a weird thing how they do things like that in swiss with like having their whole country involved in these kind of procurements okay so yeah they're they're going to you know have an absolute massive public fight over pretty much i think it's currently off the table as well uh, i'm not sure anymore like that sounds like fun yeah all right, so does anyone have any news stories they want to talk about specifically? Well, I don't know if you all want to talk more about aircraft or something else. Well, uh, we don't have John here to do a news rundown, and I'm a bit too lazy to do it for him. All right. <laughs> hey, hey, don't, don't, don't criticize me here. I'm, no, I'm, just... I'm not criticizing, just silent judgment. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's all silent, of course. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. That's why I can hear you doing it. Yeah. Um, I will say just one more thing on Ukraine. I've just had a look at the um, the latest OSCE report, um, which came out in the last half hour or so. Um, and they have a, you know, at the end, they always have like a table of military and military-type presence in the security zone, which um, is just, you know... Uh, the section that's designated as, as, you know, the kind of war zone, I guess, in eastern Ukraine. Um, and I've noticed they've spotted, um, which is the first time I've seen it, um, an electronic warfare system um, south of Donetsk. Um, I'm just going to have a quick look and see which, if it's in government or non-government controls, because, you know, I mean, it's, it's an interesting development regardless. Um, that you know, electronic warfare systems are being moved towards the front. It looks to me like it's going to be in government-controlled Ukraine. Um, yeah, just east of Mariupol or Mariupol. Um, so I'm going to look into that a bit more in a little bit, and presumably I'll stick a tweet out, and maybe we can discuss it on next episode. Um, yeah, but the fact that they've moved, you know, these electronic warfare system up definitely means they're concerned, I guess, about what Russia might try, because it's you know it's it's not going to counter anything the separatists have, you know, they it, well if they believed anyway. Um, but yeah, that's just just one thing I wanted to mention just before we finish, unless anyone else has anything anything else. You know, I I I think that is actually it for me this week. Sounds good. Awesome. I mean, I can just talk about planes for hours, so. <laughs> oh, oh, quick. That's the end of the show. Bye.